Welcome to Open Banking Expo Unplugged, bringing you the brightest minds in open banking, open finance and beyond. Hello and welcome to Open Banking Expo Unplugged. I'm Ellie Duncan, Head of Editorial and Broadcast at Open Banking Expo and as always, your host for this episode. And today I'm joined by Olga Shikantseva, a partner at Speed Invest, which is a venture capital fund that invests in pre-seed and early stage startups across Europe. Last November, Olga wrote an op-ed for Open Banking Expo explaining how fintechs can weather the financial downturn that we find ourselves in. So I've invited her on the podcast to expand on some of the points in that article and to find out what she looks for in a fintech startup when investing. So welcome to the podcast, Olga. Many thanks. Uh, My pleasure to be here. Um, Very, very excited to discuss everything further. Great. We'll get straight into it then and find out a bit more, first of all, about Speed Invest. So um, as I mentioned, Speed Invest funds early stage um, European tech startups. So how, how does Speed Invest back fintech startups specifically? Yes. So just a little bit of background on the fund first to kind of make this uh, picture clear. So by overall fund fund focus, we are a generalist pre-seed and seed fund uh, where six vertical teams are operating under one umbrella. And the verticals are fintech, infrastructure and SaaS, marketplaces and consumer, health, deep tech and climate and industry. So such structure allows us to operate in a lean kind of industry expertise level, as well as contribute to the specific topics with the expertise which might be needed at some point when the company is expanding to the specific market. So essentially making us able to invest with a broader view and kind of broader expertise, as well as operate in this kind of cross-section, but also bring in the key expertise which is needed for the specific sector. So fintech is one of the core verticals for us. And uh, as fintech team, we are investing in, again, pre-seed and seed startups in Europe and in emerging markets. We have quite a big practice and uh, portfolio in emerging markets specifically. So by fintech, we mean we have very, uh, very broad view on fintech. And uh, as I like to say, uh, in the end of the day, you pay for everything and uh, you pay with money. And uh, it means that fintech is part of pretty much everything in our lives. But on a more serious note, we have portfolio companies and we are looking at all the sub-segments of fintech. So an example, in lending, we are investors in Wayflyer, Billy. In crypto, we are investors in Bitpanda. In uh, payments, we are investors in Primer. In insurance, in Repox. Banking, Tide or Bank Open in India. And I can keep going, like CFO tools, uh, DeFi, so on and so forth. So um, as part of this kind of broad focus on kind of all the sub-verticals of fintech, we also look a lot at the kind of cross-section with other verticals. Because again, like fintech is part of everything. And since we have this privilege to work with the teams in health, we, in example, are investors in a company called High Health, which is essentially the health-focused health insurance fintech. So that's a bit of an kind of what we include as part of the fintech. Again, geo-focus, this is Europe and emerging markets. And apart from kind of pre-seed and seed as a core DNA of our main fund, we also recently raised opportunities fund from which we 
uh, are able to do later stages as well, like Series B onwards. So in terms of kind of investment process and kind of investment mandate, we are typically the first check on the company. So we are the earliest and we like to be, uh, we tend to lead or co-lead. And uh, uh, this means the tickets up to kind of as early as it can be <laughs> as the very first ticket, ticket of a pre-seed um, up to uh, three to four million as kind of a seed route. And yeah, and the rest is uh, just excited about the space overall, hustling all the time to uh, find the great founders and trying to justify the name by uh, by the speed of investment process too. Yeah, of course. And and well, before we kind of go into that a little bit more about uh, you know what you do look for in in the startups you invest in, it'd be great to hear a bit more about your own background because as I understand it, you joined the fintech team at Speed Invest back in sort of early 2021, right? So so what was your background up until then? Yes, um, I joined uh, Speed Invest almost two years ago. Before joining Speed Invest, I had been with uh, Target Global for four years, uh, based out of Berlin and investing in all things fintech on different stages and in different geos. There I had a pleasure to be and privilege to be investor and work with the companies like uh, Rapid, which is one of the largest payments fintechs overall right now, Zico, Copper, Crypto Custody, Cuda, Neobank, and Nigeria, Refox, which is our joint portfolio company with with Speed Invest. And before Target Global, I was based out of Moscow, where I was born and raised and started. And just by sort of coincidence, uh, I got into fintech right after studies. And overall, all my career is connected to fintech which started seven years, a little bit more than seven years ago with a fund called Finsight Ventures uh, based out of San Francisco, um, where I started with investing in alternative lending. Then I was building a fund from scratches in Moscow and then Target Global and Berlin chapter of my life. So altogether, it's been fintech only for seven years. And uh, this is my passion and kind of the only area I've been actually focusing on all these years. Well, um, that means that uh, you're extremely well placed to to kind of tell us a bit more about um, what's exciting in in the fintech space at the moment. So, so when you know you're looking, as you say, you're one of the the very sort of early investors. You are really backing those companies that that uh, are really barely a startup, right? So, what attributes, what you know, characteristics are you looking for in those in those startups so early on? Yeah, of course. So. I find precedent seed stage being that interesting specifically for the reason that there are, yeah, everything is still possible, right? And there are no, no hard factors or hard metrics to rely on just yet. So essentially, uh, usual kind of typical company, which we look at at this stage has barely has a product, right? So essentially it is mostly just the team and the idea and a big vision. In some cases, there is already an MVP, and if it is a seed stage, sometimes there are signs of early validation with customers um, and some early traction. But again, ultimately, we are very uh, keen to invest in pre-seed, and this is kind of one of our biggest uh, focuses. And as a first-ticket investors, we really have to rely only on the team and big vision and kind of ground ground breaking takes on the existing big industries. We do like uh, 
again, it might it, it might sound a little bit a little bit blurry, kind of because everyone likes to invest in big ideas and big things, right? But essentially, we are looking for like really big changes in the industry versus sort of some incremental improvements of existing um, status quo. And obviously, again, what we are looking in the in 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 the teams for, in many cases, these are very early teams, right? Very ambitious, uh, with the drive and kind of fast learning on the go, and obviously with the product and tech execution capabilities, because again. Future product is a king. In our case, it is a future product because it's in most cases pre-product. But again, we do look for the teams who uh, are well positioned to build this up as well, apart from kind of just having a vision. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and and okay. So then you you've invested in it in a um, you know a, a startup, um, and uh, so it's part of your portfolio now. H- how do you go about working with those? Those teams, you know, as you say, they've come come to you with these big ideas, uh, but now you've actually kind of got to help them grow the business, right? So well, what, what does that involve? Uh, yes, this is one of our kind of USPs of our fund, and uh, which kind of lies as part of our DNA. We are a very active investor, and we are operationally active as well. So essentially, right after we invest, we onboard sort of two teams on it. <laughs> let's put it this way there is obviously investment team and us investors who lead the deal who sit on the board and uh, are part of every strategic direction discussion and like literally on a daily uh, connection with the founders and us as investors again our core help lies in fundraising strategy which is obviously very important uh, strategies what we've seen in the market already and benchmarks we kind of already uh, witnessed and kind of do's and don'ts which we've seen Um, and of course customers and partners network so essentially when kind of us and investors bring all our network and capabilities on the table. Apart from us investors we have Platform Plus uh, the the special team as part of Speed Invest who helps with the operational development. So essentially, operational development includes um, things like hiring, go-to-market strategies, pricing strategies, as well as uh, help on communication and PR. So altogether, we uh, are really heavy tied with the team, and we all, as kind of as early stage investors, we every member of the investment team knows that kind of we share this passion of being highly involved. And definitely not being just somewhere on the sidelines. So it is daily involvement on kind of anything what pops up right now on agenda, but obviously like uh, helping the companies to assemble the right board, uh, the right investors base. And we try to get involved even before we invest. So even before the deal is signed, we already bring customers, we bring co-investors with us and start adding value as much as we can. And I would say kind of on top of it, there is the third pillar, right? So as I flagged in the beginning, we have several vertical teams. And again, in the current environment, a lot of things lie on the cross-section. So we witness a lot of kind of fintech plus health, fintech plus industry. Uh, Many other companies who start as software or as marketplace who also pivot towards the fintech as well, adding financing solutions or payment solution on top of it. So essentially, apart from 
this, we have the privilege to have kind of investors, specialists in the specific topics, which make one plus one more than two. And we onboard all these resources to help our portfolio companies uh, live and grow. Great. I mean, it's it's fascinating to hear about the kind of um, how you work with with these companies. And as I mentioned in my introduction, um, you know, you'd, you'd written um, an article for us recently about kind of how fintechs can sort of weather the financial storm, as it were, that, that we're kind of going through at the moment. So, you know, we we know it's, it's obviously a really competitive market at the best of times, but at the moment, fintechs do face um, a bit of an uphill struggle, maybe when it when it comes to securing funding this year. Just just because I suppose you know we are um, living through a, a slightly turbulent economic kind of environment. So, um, what are some of the kind of specific risks that that fintechs face, especially the ones that that perhaps you're working with those precede really early stage ones? Um, you know, where they're trying to secure funding against this backdrop. Um, yes. I mean, it is it is kind of it is even impossible to argue that this this is a big uphill struggle. The market has not been easy last year, and again, not to be pessimistic, but it's not getting easier this year too. This is the reality, and kind of accepting the reality is the first and necessary step to kind of succeeding further, so to say. Uh, at the same time, uh, yes. This is, again, in the current reality, there is crisis across kind of touching all the areas of economy. There is obviously growing inflation, which obviously impacts the consumer demand, the um, sensitivity to pricing, the, a lot of things there. There is interest uh, rates growing and cost of capital becoming more expensive. And all of it also impacts the affects the dynamics in the VC market as well. Yes, this is much harder time to raise uh, capital right now comparing to last years. And again, this is uh, this is just the reality which everyone has to admit and just work with this. And obviously, every investor who invests right now, right now us included, is seeking for, so to say, more substance in terms of all the pillars in terms of product, in terms of traction, in terms of fundamentals of the business model. Everyone searches for the companies who is ready to build more with less. And this is, again, just something which every company has to be ready for. At the same time, since there, this is a crisis across sort of all the industries, a lot of inefficiencies kind of come up and become even clearer than they were before. And every inefficiency is the key to to the change and to build on something more efficiently, changing the status quo and building new businesses there. This we consider as a crazy big opportunity, which all the founders have in front of them, obviously, with all the constraints which I mentioned before, but it doesn't mean that it's impossible. It is possible, and there are investors who are ready to deploy for the big ideas and the greatest teams, and in those who are building in this very lean uh, and efficient way. Yeah, and you mentioned that word opportunity there, because you know, as, as we all know, even during a, a downturn or in a recession, 
there are opportunities still. There are there are chances for um, startups to to secure funding, of course, to get that backing and and to continue to grow. Right? Um, is that something that a kind of message that you'd be keen to kind of get across? Really? Yes, of course. Uh, I mean, yeah. No matter no matter what, great companies have been built in all the times and good times in bad times so there is no that thing like there is no such thing like good time to build a company there is no no such thing like bad time to build a company like greatest companies are built in all the times uh there is no exception obviously every company comes through the struggles and obviously now this is a big struggle across all again as i mentioned across all the verticals but Essentially, the crisis uh, across all these verticals highlighted to us even more inefficiencies when kind of a lot of things being in complete disbalance started just falling apart. And we see that in example one of them, supply chain is a big struggle across all over the, all, all over the world and, and every new geopolitical or uh, economical uh, factor doesn't help. And there are a lot of inefficiencies across other big industries too. But essentially what we believe in that these inefficiencies make the route that something has to be changed and great, opportun- great opportunities are caught by the founders who have these ins- insights and intel into these industries to come build and really change this. Uh, it goes beyond fintech. Can be for supply chain, for construction, for um, uh, for food industry and agriculture, for health. It touches all of it. But what we also really believe in that fintech can be the backbone of all of this, because again, all these industries include huge payment volumes as a just realistic part of this process. Payments happen in all the. Uh, kind of pieces of the chains of all these processes. Financing is a biggest issue for all of those. And then you go to the further product, insurance, um, escrow, custody, and all these items. And a lot of these uh, a lot of these industries can be changed and can and the changes in these industries can be supported with fintechs. So what we really believe in that uh, sort of era of one-fits-all solutions in fintech is almost gone, if not gone completely, which means that, uh, and I mean, we've all seen it, all the most successful companies had to cut out some of the target segments like SMEs and stuff because it is just hard and expensive to distribute it. It means that there are still huge underserved layers which just have to be approached from the other angle from more industry-specific angle. And this is one of the opportunities which we really believe in, the particular vertical solutions, which disrupt and essentially, they do not disrupt the industry overall, but they sit on the whole operational value chain, touching all the payments, all the financing beats, payrolls and payouts to the suppliers, so to say. And none of these processes are happening without money (laughs) and that's how we look at this and that's where we see a lot of opportunities right 
Apart from this, we do believe that uh, there are a lot of things which can be changed even in financial industry as well. Because again, uh, now everyone thinks about efficiency. And when we speak about uh, uh, startups who have to be leaner and preserve cash, uh, we can speak in absolutely the same manner about the incumbents and the inefficiencies there as well. Which means that, uh, again, a lot of processes from insurance to payments can be still disrupted with just a very new way and new technology completely with the new stack. And as a new stack, we have the whole completely uh, not yet um, kind of not yet um, the, the, the area which hasn't shown itself at all, so to say. So DeFi, uh, decentralized finance, completely haven't shown and haven't found, honestly speaking, the product market fit yet. So essentially, we have the whole uh, new financial uh, opportunity built on just completely new rails, which is, in a way, the opposite movement to kind of bring in the financial solutions to existing old trillion dollar uh, industries. This is building the new stack, which can we believe can easily coexist with the existing one. But this is still a huge opportunity. Um, yes. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, as you say, it's a really exciting um, sectors there that are kind of ripe for this this disruption and that, that opportunity, as, as you mentioned. Look, another area I wanted to ask you about was the fact that obviously... Last year, certainly in 2022, the first half maybe, and, and obviously back in 2021, we did see a lot of M&A activity. There was this kind of flurry of, of deals um, in the fintech space and, and you know, um, fintechs were, were really um, attracting some very high um, record valuations even. And then in the second half of, of 2022, that obviously kind of died down, M&A activity sort of dried up a bit. So, What's your expectations for M&A deals this year, both in Europe and also in, in those emerging markets that you invest in as well? Yeah, I think that uh, M&A is overall, it's not a quick process. And sometimes just any statistics which we see, it goes with kind of a lag. Uh, but in overall trend, obviously, we do not expect to see uh, that, that scale of valuation which used to be there a year ago so to say. But at the same time, uh, in terms of number of deals, we do believe that M&A activity actually will be growing. Because again, a lot of teams who used to get VC funding along the way last in last two years will not be just, again, not being too pessimistic, but being just realistic. Many teams will not be able to raise and they will be going with the uh, acquisition route which means that um, it is just kind of the alternative, so to say, to the classic uh, just VC-powered growth scenario. On the other uh, side of this equation, there are all the incumbents uh, in all the industries, again, who are keen to, who have cash and who are keen to explore uh, different, different types of acquisitions. Efficiency, which are the purpose of increasing efficiency, which I mentioned before, but also the ways to tap into new customers' base, uh, cut the costs, uh, or just having the stake, the let's say, payment stack in-house if you are not a payments company, but a um, 
I don't know, marketplace or a travel business who just has naturally a lot of planes payouts. It can be also very easily the case. And uh, we do expect that m uh activity will pick up. Uh, but again, by saying m we do not immediately imply uh, many billion dollars outcomes, I would put it this way. Yeah, very clear though. I, th- I think that that sounds realistic. And um, uh, well, look, Olga, I just um, I wanted to come on to kind of one final question, really, um, which is kind of ask for your piece of advice that you have or you would give to to fintech founders in in the environment, uh, in the current environment, um, if they're trying to kind of raise funding. What, what would be your your kind of piece of advice that you'd give them? Yes, I mean. First of all, there is the, the, the thing which I mentioned many times during today's conversation already, uh, the mentality of getting more with the less uh, is, is, is critical right now. And this hustle and uh, creative way of getting to faster revenues, building faster, iterating faster in a leaner way will become an absolute uh, critical thing. The just sort of promises and hopes that customers will come uh, or revenue will pick up later on. These promises do not work anymore. So essentially, there has to be the fundamentals to any business which is being built. So essentially, if it is a new, completely new business, then this is one of the things which all the founders have to think about, the business model and how it's going to work and if it's going to work at all. In recent years, there were quite a, quite a lot of just kind of growth powered by just huge investments in marketing. Let's put it this way. But at the same time, it, this party is over. So everyone who builds uh, any new fintech has to think about the viability of business models. And this has to be uh, day zero, so to say. Uh, reserving cash and always thinking and kind of controlling it. This is just overall the key to survive in the hard times for everyone. Um, And I would say the last piece for just like really uh, new teams who are just thinking to build something, uh, the last piece of advice would be like leverage your unique intel which you have from from the earlier days to build some things because... The unique intel uh, and sort of bottom-up knowledge actually can bring you further than just kind of just going to the sort of top-down big market, which seems big just on the surface. And again, the asymmetry of information, the unique knowledge can serve even more, especially when we get back to the first point, being creative and finding the hacks, which not many people can find. And the rest, the opportunities are still there. The best uh, ideas and the best teams are still getting funded. funded. Uh, but it's not easy. It is the reality and acceptance of reality is important. Yeah, I like that message. And Olga, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and for, for answering my question. It's been a really fascinating to hear from you. Many thanks. Really enjoyed the questions and the conversation. Uh, many thanks for inviting me. My thanks again to Olga from Speed Invest there. Really great to hear from her today. 
And if you'd like to catch up on any of the episodes of Open Banking Expo Unplugged, then do go to the on-demand section of the website. You'll also be able to watch back some of our recent live panel debates on demand, uh, as well as TV episodes. That's all for today, and I'll say goodbye for now. See you again soon.